How do you help someone to make progress? We've all got friends that want to start businesses. We've got us who want to start businesses and make progress. We've got people in our life that we love. But how do you unlock it so they can make progress? For 10 years, my business partner Simon and I have been running rebel business schools around the world and testing ideas, theories, strategies, and plans out to help people make progress the quickest way possible. This episode, the aim is to arm you with the tools you need to unlock yourself and those around you. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome back to The Rebel Entrepreneur. I'm super excited to have with me in one of the stranger setups we've had, my business partner, Simon Misusio Socio Simon. <laughs> Hello, Alan. <laughs> this is definitely the weirdest recording studio I've ever been in. Uh, so to paint the picture for you, we are in a WeWork in Bogota in Colombia. And this particular room is glass and concrete, so the most echoey you could imagine. So right in front of us to pad the sound, we have two chairs with jackets and t-shirts hung over it to try and take the edge off the echo as we record. So we kind of have our own WeWork cave, Simon. I know, and I notice every time somebody walks past the glass, they're laughing at us. I know they're <laughs> stupid English people. What are they doing with chairs and their clothing on the table? And all this in an effort to give you the best quality audio and to make Patrick, the podcast manager's life slightly easier with removing echoes. So this episode, the last episode was all about what I've learned through the coaching series. In this episode, I wanted to explore what Simon's learned through coaching people at Rebel Business School. And if we go all the way back to the beginning, Simon, you and I turned up in Western Supermare on the Cadbury Estate in a very strange woodworking empty warehouse type building with 40 people on day one that we wanted to help make progress. And I think that's been the theme of every workshop we've done is how can we help you make progress? We don't really care what your goal is. How can we help you make progress? So I guess my opening question is, how do you think your style of coaching has changed since that first heady day in Western Supermare to now in 2022, coaching 400 people on the last Rebel Business School online. What's changed over the last 10 years of doing this, Simon? Well, I've got a few more wrinkles, Alan. <laughs> that, that is factually correct. Yes. Extra bit of timber I think around we the waist. both have. I've got a lot more grey hair than I had back then. Oh, we were young and hopeful in those days. I still am, Alan. Anyway, still stop am. buying for time and ask them the question. <laughs> I suppose uh, the first thing I'd say is that it's a real privileged position that we're in. It's a real privilege, isn't it, to have people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, to trust us with their ideas, their problems and their challenges. And I think that the underlying position that I come from, and I know you do too, is uh, care. 
you know, nobody gets left behind. Whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, we will always find a way to give our best ideas, our best support, our best care. And that has been a real strong foundation for whatever happens next in any conversation. Our That's best the first questions. Thing. I've got a few of those. I know. It's my <laughs> turn this time. <laughs> I'm slightly nervous about this. So I think uh, the thing that I became really interested in quite quickly in our events is we don't get along with people because of the the number of people in the room and wanting to give as much value to as many people as possible. So those those one-to-one conversations that we have drove me to get excited about this. What's the maximum amount of effort, not effort, what am I saying? The maximum amount of impact that I can have in the shortest amount of time possible. Yes. So that has been driving my coaching style Like if I've only got 10 minutes with you, how can I make sure those 10 minutes have the biggest impact on your life and your business goals? And change the course of your life positively. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's that's what's changed now is, is, and I guess the other thing, of course, is that both you and I have been relentless in learning new things and adding more tools to the toolkit. So the, the conversations that we would have in 2012, one of the fundamental differences 10 years on is I've got more skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of my biggest aims in a realization, I don't know, five, six years ago was the more I learn, the more valuable I am to the people around me, whether that's on the course, my family, whoever it is. <laughs> They're the most difficult to coach, but let's not go there. Um, the more I learn, the more valuable I am. And I think self-development is not just about self Self-development helps you become a better person to help all of those people around you. So let's let's go to, let's imagine you have someone in front of you right now. They come in, they go, okay, I've tried a bunch of stuff. Nothing's worked. I'm stuck. What do I do? (laughs) Like, I'm just lost. Like, I've tried. So I think my first thought is, how long have we got? If we've only got a few minutes, I'll take you through a rapid series of questions to help us both diagnose the most likely reason you're stuck. And therefore, we can come up with a bunch of ideas as to how to get you unstuck very quickly. If we've got longer and we're going deep, then I'm going to land the miracle question on you and it's going to smack you in the face. So I think, you know, if it's a a, a kind of garden variety, short conversation, we'll talk about the miracle question in a minute. I've got a series of things that I'll go through to help us get get up and running and warm up. So let's take us through the diagnosis because I think this is really interesting because if we go through that now, everyone listening to the podcast can go through it with us and go, where am I on these questions? What am I doing? It also gives you the tools to help your business partner if you've done this with someone, to help a friend, to self-coach. And I actually think self-coaching is one of the most important skills you can learn because you don't always have access to a world-class coach when you need it the most. You need to get used to asking yourself questions. So let's go through this diagnosis. Imagine it's me, Simon. Diagnose me. Oh my gosh, how long have we got on this podcast, Danny? (laughs) I'm a proxy for everyone else listening today. (laughs) Wish me luck, everybody. I'm going in. Right, the first thing I'm going to say, Alan, is if you're not getting the results that you want, question number one I'm going to ask you is, I just want to check in and say to you, have you picked a business idea that you're excited to do? And I know it sounds a little bit obvious, but I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people that have set up a business based on what they think they should do or based on 
something they think they can make money out of. But when it comes down to it, they're just not excited enough to wake up tomorrow morning and do it. You know, I'll give you a great example. We had someone that came on our course from the southwest of the UK. She's an awesome woman. Her name's Ellie. Incredibly talented. She spent 15 years working in PR. And when she turned up on day one of the course, she said, um, I'm setting up a PR business because that's what I think I should do. But, should. Yeah. But when you when you dive down, when I started talking about, you know, what excites you and what lights you up, she said, well, actually, I've realized that art is what excites me. My dream is to become an artist, but I couldn't do that, could I? And actually, that was the journey that she then went on. She's been building a very successful career for herself as an artist based on that fundamental foundational principle. Have you picked something that lights you up? Because whatever I say next is irrelevant if you're trying to build a business doing something that you don't really enjoy that much. You won't have enough, in my experience, enough gumption, I think is what I'm looking for, <laughs> to, to take you through the difficult bits of building a business because you're going to have to go through some difficult bits. There is... One, we always love the exceptions when we're talking about this. I think there's one exception, and that's that rare breed of people who just love the business. It doesn't matter what the business is. They just love business. They love the art of the deal, the negotiation, the crafting, the stuff. Uh, For those people, the end item matters less. You should still be excited about it, but some people just get excited about business. I call them the ice to the Eskimos people. Yes, sell anything to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you're one of those people that gets truly excited about the business, just rough guess what product are you most excited about and then let's get on with it because you will get buzzed by the business itself. Uh, and maybe even if you're one of those people, you can partner with someone who is buzzed by the art, by the coffee, by the whatever, because the power of the two of you because the artist is not normally buzzed by the business, they're buzzed by the art and the other way around. So if you could combine your skills, like if you're out there going, I just love building businesses, find someone who's truly exceptional to partner with. Come on a Rebel Business School course, network in the group, find someone to partner with. I love that. Michael Atavar wrote a book called How to Be an Artist. And one of the things he talks about in there is becoming a magician's assistant, you know, go and sell someone else's creativity. And like if you're an ice to the Eskimos kind of person, I love what Alan said. That's great advice. Somewhere, Somewhere out there is someone's talent that you can get excited about and sell for them. So question one, you diagnose, are you buzzed about this stuff? What's Where do we go next with the diagnosis? Question two is if you said to me, yes, Simon, I'm very excited for my business. I go, great. Well, then the next question is, what product or service have you focused on selling first? And I think the next few questions are a bit like, sort of call it home. You know, if you ever you get lost and you're out in the wilderness with your business mm-hmm. idea and you can't figure out how to get started or even how to get restarted, these questions are just as relevant if you've been in business 10 years or, or 10 minutes. Well, you can get lost at any stage yeah, on the journey. And, and then have. you can come yeah. back to that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And I think that's the next bit. So when you're starting or restarting, you need to focus on one product or service and and sell that first. We'll add the other stuff later. But one of the most common reasons that people are stuck is they're hedging. They're hedging their bets. They're trying to sell too many things at once. Launch five products. Yeah. And then back the winner. Yeah. And it becomes a paradox because you're worried about none of them working. So, you know, you do lots at the same time. 
But because you're doing, trying to do so many things at the same time, you're not going to get any traction because you'll be confusing yourself, you'll be confusing your customers, and you'll be spreading yourself too thin over multiple things. And we've got so many examples of you know, I, I like creatives, by the way. If you're, a, if you're a creative, this next little section is going to really resonate <laughs> with you. Um, sometimes I call it the blessing of the creative because you're so creative. You've got so many talents and so many ideas. Uh, but when it comes to making money, it's the curse of the creative because it's like the artist in Nottingham. And I said to her, what's your business? And she said, well, uh, I do watercolors. I go, great. She said, and I make bags. Okay. And I do pottery and I'm a life coach. And I've just qualified as a yoga teacher. And I said, wow, you sound busy to me. Are you making any money? She said, no, I've not sold a thing. I said, I think I know why. I think I know why. I think I know why. So if you're listening to this, the questions to ask yourself is, do you have a defined singular product or service? Maybe at a maximum two, if they're related. And then I think we come on to the third part is, do you have a defined audience? Yeah, and that is the third part. But I, I, I think people struggle to get past the product or service question because they are too invested in too many things. So there's a sub-question of that, which is out of all of the products or services that you could focus on, which one makes most sense? And what I mean by that is, you know, lots of people have got highfalutin business ideas, but they're quite a long way away from starting them. So what makes sense means, is there a product or service that you could start immediately? Now, today. Yeah. And what's your best guess out of all of those uh, ideas, all of those products or services, your best guess of which of those lights you up as well? So what makes sense? What am I closest to? What am I most excited that I could start with knowing that we'll get round to the others later? but we just want you to get you making money first. Which actually I think a lot of people's hesitation on our methodology is I don't want to park all that other stuff. Like, what are you telling me? I have to park the big dream. I'm like, no, you don't have to park the big dream, but we have to start with the little version of it. Otherwise you will never get to the big dream. And I think that's what people really struggle with. And what I end up coaching a lot is they're trying to skip version one to 10 to get to version 11, which is the dream version. And you actually have to go through those steps to get there because in every version, there is an important lesson for you to learn to get to version two, to get to version three, to get to version four. So I think what Simon's trying to do through his diagnosis is pull you back to what's the next evolution of your journey or if it's a new idea, what's the first step on that journey rather than skip to ultimate version fighter 11, 12, whatever it is, like the ultimate stage, like stop skipping versions. And I hated this advice when I was younger because like, what do you mean I can't launch a global tour without ever having done anything? Of course I can. Yeah, and I think that's the bit. My underlying position is we're starting a business from where we're actually at, not where we wish we were at. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and the the realistic and unrealistic amongst us, like me, want to skip to the final version. But we just, like, you can still tell people the final version, but you have to then sell them what's actually realistic to do right now. So I was always talking about a pop-up business school, running around the country, doing all sorts of stuff. But it started with a two-week version in Western Supermare. That's it. I had to run that two-week version to understand, to learn, 
to get to phase two, which was in a bigger version and a bigger version. And then I learned a lot from running a bigger version. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. Let's do a smaller version. And it changed and dwarfed and moved until we actually got to the version we got to. Yeah. And I think the, uh, the bit for me is start with what's in front of you. The universe is presenting. Yeah. And so many people's business dreams are killed off by other people that talk about the viability of a big business idea. I hate that. Scalability, yeah, viability. Yeah. As a classic example recently, someone has an idea of, of making jams and chutneys from home, right? Um, she's a single mum. She doesn't have any other income at the moment apart from a government benefit. And she's excited to test these ideas. Her dreams have been killed off by somebody that said, I'm not sure how sustainable that business idea is in terms of the amount of money that you need to earn. And to me, I'm saying actually like 20 pounds a week for this woman right now could be a life-changing number. Like if you've got an extra $30 coming in when you've got nothing. That's better than nothing. And you're going to learn the skills required to stepping stone your way through to either figuring out how to scale that idea if you realize it's something that you love or you'll go, you're, you're stopping that and you realize for yourself that isn't the thing that's going to turn into a bigger income for you later. You're going to take the skills that you've learned and apply them to the next idea and the next idea. That's the key bit is taking the skills you've learned. Every mini experiment, even if it doesn't lead somewhere, is viable because it will teach you something that will help you in the next phase of your life. You just need to take action you just need to make it happen, which then you will go, okay, I've learned a lesson on that, which will apply to the next one. But so many people don't even do it because they think, well, they self-evaluate or they get their ideas killed by traditional business coaches, which let's not go there. But they get asked those questions and told all the problems and then they kill their own ideas before launching them. But you have to launch them to find out. You have to test it. And I don't care what version of life this is in. Like run a mini experiment and you will learn some stuff that will help you on version two. And I think like before we get into the target customer, which is the next piece of this process, uh, I feel highly qualified to say my next sentence because you're, <laughs> I'm basically describing myself, which is the possibility paralysis, where you've got 10 things that you're into, that you're excited about, that you'd love to try. And the second that you try and do them all at once is the second that you're stuffed because that's when nothing's going to happen. So I think this, this process, and I think lists are a great way of doing this. And I quite often say to people, write a list of all your business ideas. List number one is hobbies. List number two, hobbies that make you money. Like, that's cool. I'm very happy for you. Like, I still play music. I still get paid, you know, £100, £150 a night when I do a live show. Uh, I've divorced myself from the idea of that becoming my full-time income because through those many experiments I've realized I'm quite happy for it to be a hobby but it's quite nice that it pays because it means I can upgrade my kit um, <laughs> so list number one is a hobby list number two is hobbies that make you money list number three is only going to have one thing on it list number three is what your next mini experiment business product or service is and like if you worked for someone else and you brought in your hobbies and your hobbies that make money into the workplace. Like imagine that you're working in a call center and you're passionate about carpentry. So you bring in the wood and the saws and the chisels to operate at your desk whilst doing your day job. I don't think your 
colleagues or your boss will be that happy. So don't do it in your own business. Like separate out the time and go, this is the time when I'm doing my hobbies. But this one thing is the thing that I'm going to focus on right now for my mini experiment. And once you've got to that point, like Alan says, you know, don't skip the steps because the steps are there for a reason. Your next piece is, right, now I've got my product or service nailed. I don't have to stick with it forever. It's just, this is my next experiment and I'm going to run it for a month or two months or six weeks, whatever it is. Now, once you've got to that point, you're ready for the next stage. What's the next stage, Simon? I'm sorry, Alan, we've run out of time. (laughs) The next stage is, who is the customer who is most likely to buy the product or service that you've just chosen? That's the next stage. And you can't figure that out until you focused on one product or service. So this bit is all about saying lots of people might buy from you, but purely for the purposes of outbound marketing. And what I mean by that is the action that you're going to take to make sales, because people are going to come to you from lots of different and unexpected places. They're going to find you once you put yourself out there, but the action that you're going to take is only going to be in one direction. And that I do in the band, I mean for marketing. What's your best guess of who is most likely to buy? And we're going to put all of our effort in finding those people and telling them about what you're doing. And this is the mini experiment bit where it's an experiment and we are going to get feedback. And I don't care whether the feedback is positive or negative. And actually, I think we should stop looking at it as success or failure or positive or negative. It's an experiment. We're testing a hypothesis. The hypothesis is these people will buy. And you will either find out they will or they won't. <laughs> and either's fine. If they won't, then we choose a different target market. And the quicker you can iterate through target markets and find the one, the two, the other ones that love what you do, you love working with them, the quicker you can get to building a business. The slower you iterate through target markets, the worse, the more bogged down you will get, the less sales you'll get. That's when you end up spending the first two years. I spent a year trying to sell to schools. I should have spent a month trying to sell to schools when I was doing it and then realized quickly it wasn't the right angle, but I didn't. I dragged it out for a year. It's my worst year in business. I felt so lost at different stages. I didn't iterate quick enough onto the next target market. And if I'd have done that, if I'd have iterated quickly and found, oh, housing associations actually like it, I'll sell to all housing associations, which is what I eventually did. But I didn't really need to go through the first two years of pain to find that out. I could have done it in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks and iterated quickly on the target market. I love that, Alan. And you've just reminded me, actually, uh, we had someone on a course recently uh, and I accidentally discovered a brilliant shortcut to identifying target audience. A target audience, I think, is the thing that people that have come through our courses find the hardest to nail down. Every entrepreneur does. Yeah. It's just, well, I still find it tough sometimes. Yeah, because you're, I think we worry about whether we've chosen the right one or not. And then we get this fear of missing out. You know, the FOMO of picking one target audience, mm-hmm. won't I be missing out on all of these other sales by focusing? But you and I know from the pain that we've been through that it's it's a red herring that you it's don't the get the customers until you focus yep um so do you want to hear my shortcut yeah like why would i not so um 
the demographics, and, and this is a word that people often use when they're identifying target audience, is a red herring. 18 to 25 female. Yeah, yeah age, blah. geography. You know, it's, it's useful to understand, but people forget that they're not Marks and Spencers. They forget that they're not, you know... I cannot reach every Nike. 18 to 25-year-old across the UK who is male. It takes people it, it, no further forward by understanding their demographics. The fastest way to do it is to figure out what product or service is most similar to yours that's already established. That's it. Give you an example. We had this woman selling beauty products, lovely woman called Nisa. She came to one of our London courses recently. She's selling beauty products and she said, well, who's my target audience? I think it's women between the ages of 16 and 75 who like using nice products that are not harmful to the environment. And I'm like, wow, that's a big audience. Tell me, who is your beauty products most like? Who would be your main competitors? And she named this brand. And I said, well, let's have a look at their social media profile. Because if you like buying this stuff, you're going you to like to try like this stuff. stuff. And I think that related product or service is an accelerator. Forget demographics. Go straight to the product or service that's either very similar to yours or is related to yours. If you like this, you'll like that. Because there's a whole bunch of, well, there's thousands of customers waiting for you in their social media following, for example. Yeah, like I remember an author that came on one course and I said, well, like if they like X book, they'll like yours. And the one he named was Terry Pratchett. And I was like, excellent. We can find Terry Pratchett fans. There are forums, there are social media groups, there are every group out there. Go find them and get a sample of your book into their hands. And you will soon know whether they are the right audience or not. It's one of my favorite tricks. I love that. I love that. And I don't think we often focus on that strong enough. If you're listening to this, that's your question. What's the product or service that's similar to yours? Maybe a direct competitor, maybe not. Maybe it's a complementary one that you can go and find those audiences instantly and run your mini experiment. Screw demographics. It's a red herring. What product or service is most like yours or that yours complements best? That's your list of customers right there. I love that. I love that. So we've had the, uh, do you enjoy it? Are you passionate about it? What's the one single product or service? What's the target market? If they have ticked all those boxes and you feel good, where do we go from there, Simon? The next question is, what's the size of the direct action that you've taken to put your product or service in front of the target audience? And I think, you know, if, if I meet someone that says, Simon, I've picked something I'm really excited about. I've definitely focused on one product or service and I know exactly who my target audience is, but I'm still not getting the results that I want. I say this, how many people have you spoken to? How many emails have you sent? How many phone calls have you made? How many direct messages have you sent on social media to find your target audience? You know, how many pop-up events have you done? How many conversations have you had? Networking events, pitches? And the answer is often none. Or five. Yeah, or very little. Yeah. Because we, when we first start, we tend to do the opposite of what's required. As new business owners, like we, we tiptoe out into the world because we're a bit scared. We're a bit worried about negative feedback. We're a Hello. bit worried about what our friends are going to say when we put ourselves out there on Facebook. And, you know, if we've got this, lots of people I meet, and I've been there too, have a fear of being judged by others, which prevents us 
from doing what's necessary. So we tentatively go, hello, I'm here. Would you like to buy my stuff? Whereas actually right at the beginning, we should be bellowing out. We need to speak to as many people as possible. Otherwise, the mini experiment isn't, isn't being tested properly. I think mini at this phase is the wrong word because it might be mini in terms of it's a four-week experiment, but you need to speak to 5,000 people. And I'm not kidding. You need to get out there, send messages, share, go everywhere, go huge. The other one I found fascinating, Simon, the reason why people don't do this, which you can check this if you're listening to this, is this your reason for not going big? So many times people come to me and go, Alan, if I send that many messages, what if I get too many customers and they're scared of the success? I know my response to that. What's your response to that? Well, it makes me laugh because when I first heard that challenge a while ago, I was confused. Because <laughs> it actually it was in, the, it was in the, a website. Someone published their website uh, basically because I, I think bully would be a strong word. She said I bullied her to press publish button, but with love. And I'm saying push, push the publish button now. Just push now. the button. Push and the she button. said, but what if people see it? And I said, well... Isn't that That's the idea, purpose? isn't it? He said, yes, but it's not ready. It kind of is. You know, you've got a product on there, you've got a blurb, you've got a picture, you've got a contact form. It's ready. It's enough. It looks nice. You know, it's not comprehensive, but good enough is good enough. Let's just get it out there and start driving traffic. But I'm worried about what if I get too many orders and I won't be able to fulfill them all? And I think my, my response is two things. Number one, you won't. Number <laughs> You just won't. Fact. Yeah. I don't think I've met someone who's no. had like 5,000 orders in the first week of launching the website. Alan, we've been in business since 2012. We came up with the idea in 2011. It's only happened once where I've been genuinely concerned about our ability to deliver what we sold. And that's recently. And like, how oh, do we... Okay. Like I was going to say, I in? don't remember that yeah, time. It's recently. And, and how do we solve it? Well, because we've sold... We've now got the resources to buy in the help that we need in order to do the bits that we either don't like doing or that we need extra capacity to do it. So I think, and I learned this from you in the early days, that you know, sales is your number one task. Once you've got sales, you can then use the money that you've made in a smart, the smartest way that you can think of to help you deliver the stuff that you've that you've sold. You can throw money at it if it really does become a problem, but I've not met anyone where it's become a problem. No, I haven't either. And the, like the other minor thing is if you do sell a fortune of it, imagine the email that you could send to those customers saying, we've been inundated. I'm really sorry you're going to have to wait two weeks, three weeks, four weeks for your order to be fulfilled. What's that going to do to your customer's desire for your product? Yeah, I love that. Like My other response to this is, at this moment in time, it's a fear. It's something that you've made up in your head, so it's not real. It's very difficult to do something about a thing that isn't real. Like We're really good at dealing with things that are real, we figure it out. We're humans. That's what we, you know, we're designed to come up with new ideas and figure stuff out and That's learn what we new do, things. Baby. Yeah, yeah. But up until the point where it's not real, it's impossible to do anything about it. You know, you can scenario plan if you want. Like if I get too many orders, this is how I'm going to handle it. But you stop know, wasting your time and get on with it. Yeah, what he said. You know that, and I think that that's the message here is: if you do get inundated with orders, 
you'll figure it out. Especially because you'll have new pockets of cash to be able to solve that problem. <laughs> Let's make as much money as we can, Simon, and take care of the rest of our problems in style. <laughs> that's it. So, that, so that's the sort of the foundational diagnosis of, of a conversation about business. I'm not getting the results that I want for my business. And I say to people, I like, you don't have the right to say your business isn't working yet until you've been through those four steps. And the reason for that is I've met so many people over the years with very average business ideas and very average marketing execution, killing it, like doing really, really well because they focus, they know who their target audience is and they've taken lots of action to promote. So once you've done all of those things, now we can have a different conversation. If you look us in the eye and go, yeah, I'll, I'll focus, I've taken loads of action, I know who my target audience is, and I definitely love this thing. Like Now that's have a different conversation about the target audience. Is it the right one? The product, is it the right one? The marketing, is it the right kind of marketing? The but price, we don't get there the, yet. All the details. Until yeah. you've done the, the foundational stuff. And this is what I call home. Let's come home first, go through those four steps, and if the answer to all of them is, is yes, I've done all of that stuff, then we go back around it again and go, right, is it the right product? Is it the right target audience? And how can we improve the marketing action that you've taken? So Simon, we've spoken a lot about business here. My question for you is through all those thousands of hours of coaching people with their businesses, is it ever really a business problem at the heart of it? I think the... Uh, the thing for me is that you could give someone the best business, starting a business strategy on planet Earth, and they happen to think we do. But if there's some other blocker, the how-to isn't going to solve that problem, is it? Well, I remember hearing an expression when I was a lot younger that it's 80% 80% mindset and 20% how-to. And I remember when I was younger going, off, get lost. I don't believe that. Just tell me how to do it and I will do it. But actually, as I've got older, I've realized nearly all of it is mindset, is the way you think about the issues, what's going on in your world. Can you get yourself to do stuff consistently every day? Like, I think that one thing would unlock so many people. So, like, we focused a lot on the, like, how-to. This feels like the how-to, do you ever get beyond that? How do you get beyond that to find the mindset issues that are holding people back? Oh, that's a juicy question, that is, Al. I love a juicy question. I guess I, my starting point is, I, and I teased you at the start with the miracle question, you know, and the miracle question being, what would be a dream outcome for you? You know, if I could wave a magic wand, what would be the, the number one dream outcome that would just light up your heart, your soul, your spirit? What would that be? And I think that that's, you know, getting people to hook up with what are they actually doing this for? What's the reason why, you know, what's the, what's the deeper driver behind it? And I think one of my early strategies to go past the how to is just to help create the conditions where people can hook up with themselves again, because in the busyness of day-to-day -day life and all the challenges that we face and money problems and the kids and work stuff and the neighbors and the dog bark and all that stuff, our minds are very, very busy. So to, to take away a lot of the noise around the outside and focus in on what would actually light you up, what would be a dream outcome? That would be my first question as part of that. And I got two follow-ups. Which most people never even know 
like where are you heading? <laughs> what are we looking at? What's a dream outcome from this mini experiment? We're not talking about 10-year plans. I, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 10 years. I've just got a couple of things that I'm working on that I'm really excited about, like the coffee brand, like my book. Like I've got a couple of cool projects that are shorter term, but I know they will lead to something bigger. We're not talking about that. We're talking about like what's the dream version that you're heading towards. Well, I think that question works in both scenarios. And I think I think it's great. It's a great and powerful tool to hook people up with what would be a dream outcome of a mini experiment. But equally, if we've got a bit longer... What would be the big dream let's outcome? Let's go deep. Yeah. yeah. Which I remember one coaching session recently, which was about, should I buy a property? Should I buy a property as an investment? Like I made some money. There's a good deal on a mortgage. I've, like, should I buy this property? And actually, to work out that, I don't even want to talk about the property. What life are you trying to build? And the interesting piece was, the feedback back was, the life I want to build is I want to be nomadic. I want to build a business that I can run anywhere in the world and travel around different places. And then my thought is, why are you buying a property like an anchor in one location if that's your dream outcome but quite often we get seduced by things we should do things we should have investments we should make like the standard society says property is a great investment well it might be depending on where you're going and what you're trying to achieve and that's really interesting when you think about the longer picture and are you actually taking stepping stones towards it yeah, I think there's there's that disconnect, isn't there? But in our busy minds, there's a disconnect between the information that we're impatient to learn that then paralyzes us from applying it because the dream that we have is kind of out of sync with what's really going on in our heads. And our hearts. So exactly. And that and that's why I, I like to start with like, how would you know if a miracle had happened? Ooh, I like that question. Yeah, that's the miracle question. Like if you wave a magic wand and you woke up tomorrow morning, how would you know that a miracle had happened and everything that you wanted had been delivered? There's your question for homework, everyone listening. How would you know a miracle had happened? What would you see? What would you hear? What would you feel? What would you smell? What would you taste if a miracle had happened? How would you know? Because I think sometimes... We're so busy and caught up in the stories in our head, we don't even see the miracles that are happening around us. Yeah, I think that's the bit. I mean, like the the flaw in the how-to stuff is that it gives people lots and lots of answers. And we haven't even asked the right question yet. And I think, but the combination of both of those things is super powerful. And I think the follow-up question to the miracle question to, to like, should we extend people's homework a little? Oh yeah, like I'm well up for homework. I think everyone listening to this podcast knows we keep talking about action is what makes it come real. And uh, if I was listening to this, Simon, I would be hungry. I would be like, give me the homework. I want the homework. If Katie was listening, she'd be like, ooh, homework. So I think the follow-up question to that stuff is, what would that give you? You know, for what purpose? And I think when I've asked that question, it does tend to draw out the conflicts between the action that you're taking and the life that you want to build, like the example that you've just given. So that's the follow-up question. For what purpose? What would it give you if that miracle had happened? Which is almost the why, the motivator, the... If you can connect deeply with your why, that's what's going to get you out of bed every day. That's what gets me out of bed every day. I don't 
and please take this in the nicest possible way. I don't need to do the podcast. I've earned my money. I don't need to launch a coffee brand with Simon in Colombia. Like that's a headache I don't really need, but... It's good coffee though. <laughs> I've got a why. I've got energy. I've got juice. It gets me out of bed. It gives me purpose every day. And one of the biggest builders of a happy life is purpose, contribution, growth. And that comes through these projects that I'm doing. So I think, you know, if I go back to uh, what we were teaching in the early days, and this, this still does form part of the course. Do you remember my E equals MC squared riff? Yes, I do. I do remember it very well because I remember the first time you told me that Einstein had got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, there's some, there's some uh, confidence with this young man here. <laughs> Yeah, and then I, I improved the formula. I said, well, it equals MC squared plus S because Einstein missed off the S. And it, like, everyone that I teach this to, they get confused. They go, like, what's the speed of light got to do with running a business? And I go, nothing. Like, I've changed the letters. The E means enterprise. So the size of your enterprise, the success you're going to have with your business is a combination of your motivation, which is the stuff that we've been talking about, hooking you up with your Y, multiplied by your confidence squared. Plus S, skills, like, you know, learning new stuff. And I think this is something that you're really passionate about self-development and about education and about taking the steps necessary to learn the skills to get better at stuff. Like, for example, if you hadn't learned how to sell, would we be chatting here now? No, we would not be sat where we are, given the journey I came on from being sat outside crying because I couldn't make sales calls to being confident enough to ring pretty much anyone and have a chat with them. It's been a journey. I still get nervous, everyone, don't get me wrong, but I do it now and I will have the chat and I will connect and I will see what happens. Uh, and I can say on behalf of all of the listeners to this podcast, Alan will ring anyone. <laughs> um, People find that come more unnerving sometimes. I'm interested because I know we've spoken recently a lot about confidence. So like if you've hooked people up with their motivation and given them the how-to, the skills, the middle piece is often the thing that prevents people from taking action is, is confidence. Do you still think confidence is the, the bit or do you think there might be something else? Well, the question I ask is what's stopping you taking action? And then that digs into what actually it is. And so often it is, like if we took Christina on the coaching calls, which you're going to hear this coming up in the series, is going to be really fascinating. Actually, what's stopping her making sales calls is the mindset around how to do it. I just recorded an episode which is coming out soon on confidence. And the lady I was coaching, like, how do you prepare for a presentation? And she's like, well, okay, you've got to ask yourself what could go wrong. Then you've got to ask yourself, what if you forget your lines? And then you've got to repeat it louder and quicker until you panic. <laughs> this is a great strategy for getting ready for anything. And I look back at my strategy for making sales calls, Simon. And my strategy was to get nervous about what they would say back to me, get nervous like, what if they say it wrong? Get nervous, get sweaty get hyped up, go red in the face, and then try and make a sales call. Like that's not the way to do it. And I think most of the time, what stops people is the way they think about the challenge. 
which if they felt more confident, they wouldn't have these crappy questions they ask themselves, like what if it goes wrong? What if it's bad? What if it's this? What if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if no one buys? Like these questions flow to people beautifully. They wind themselves up. So I think changing their strategy of how they approach the action and confidence, like if you felt confident, you wouldn't have any of those questions. Have you ever met a confident person that goes into a presentation going, what if it goes wrong? Never. <laughs> no, you just wouldn't do it. No. So I do think confidence is the magic elixir of this stuff. But you would tie in like self-belief. Like it's such a big subject is the way you speak to yourself. It's the way you think. And sometimes confidence is a lack of negative questions. Yeah, be kind to yourself, folks. That's what I hear from Alan say. Instead of asking yourself, what if it goes wrong? Like, I love the question, what if it goes right? Like, you can replace the stuff with, with more positive What uh, if I have things. fun? It does trigger a, a f- the same flight response, doesn't it? Like, the fears that people have about sales calls and putting themselves out there and so on. It triggers that which prevents them from doing it because their confidence has been knocked. Like I'm scared of that because I've been telling myself all of these horrible things that might happen. Then I get scared and then I, then I don't take the action that I need to take. But I love the fact that if you go upstream and said nice things to me, we are kind to yourself, then the flight response might not be quite so triggered. Therefore you'll have a little bit more confidence to take action. And I think one of my recent riffs is uh, until confidence shows up, courage will do. You know what I mean? So take a deep breath and doing it anyway, because you're going to be okay. And the worst that can happen, you're going to learn something. And I think the first one or two times you do end up doing it on courage, because there is nothing else. You don't have anything to base confidence on. The one thing I would say, a fascinating expression I learned on a course by a guy called Richard Bandler, was all of your resources are in the past. And that really made me think, like, what do you mean all my resources in the past? Aren't my resources in my bank account? Are my resources here or there? And what he meant by is you have felt confident at certain points. You have felt happy at certain points and you can re-access those states and borrow them to feel confident going forwards. And I think that's fascinating for me. And some of you going, well, I've never felt confident or this or that and like, Okay, do you feel confident you could tie your shoes? Do you feel confident the sun will come up tomorrow? Do you feel confident that there will be an episode of Rebel Entrepreneur next week? I do. We didn't recently, but that's another story. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, You've got those resources. So can you remember a time when you felt confident and re-engage with it? See what you saw feel what you felt, hear what you heard, bring back that state and find that state of confidence. And when I'm going to deliver a presentation, one of the biggest gifts I can give myself is getting back into a state where I nailed it. I feel fabulous going forwards to it. And I can control my state going into these presentations by borrowing the resource I need from the past. Simon. You were just sending me off into dreamland then, Alan. <laughs> I was feeling relaxed. <laughs> feeling relaxed, feeling confident. I think that the the thing that I've learned recently is the power of being fully present because I may have been guilty in the past. This might make Alan smile. Let's see if he smiles at this bit. 
and may have been guilty in the past of overthinking things slightly. <laughs> I said, smile. You're not supposed to like lose yourself in laughter, man. What's wrong with you? Do you remember when I sent you a message saying, stop thinking and start doing? It included several swear words at the time. I do remember that, Alan. I think, I think I've saved it. Um, <laughs> and I think if you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone and you're going to do something that you've not done before and try something new, sure, like accessing a state of confidence is going to help. Putting on your brave pants may also help. But I think, you know, getting out of your head and being fully present, that's been my strategy lately. And it's getting me some amazing results because instead of me thinking about all the things that could go wrong, I'm just here and I'm in the moment. Whatever happens, I trust the fact that I'll know what to say and do next if I'm not in my head. I love that. So my version of that when I'm preparing for a presentation is put myself in a good state walking around outside, breathing fresh air, speaking to my wife, Katie, laughing, having fun, put myself in a good state. Remember a time it's gone well, put myself in a good state, then charge into the room ready for the presentation and be in the moment talking to people. As soon as I'm stood on my own, (laughs) waiting for it to start, the monkey brain has a danger of kicking in and doing all this internal chatter, which actually takes me out of the moment, stops me being present, stops me delivering a good job. So if I can actually talk to people, set things up, I'm there in the moment. What are your strategies, Simon, for being 100% present when you're doing a podcast, when you're doing a sales call? How do you get yourself into the moment to connect with it? That's a great question. And I used to go through a little process of you know, do this, then do that, and then do this. And then I realized that actually the capability of being fully present is already built in. Like, you know, steps like feeling your feet in your shoes are handy to start. Steps like feeling your butt in the chair and connecting with someone, putting your phone away. And, you know, all of those things are really helpful. My number one strategy now is just to breathe and just be conscious of breath. Just breathe for a second. Because here's the thing, you can't breathe yesterday. Uh, and also, uh, <laughs> you, you can't breathe tomorrow. Like if Alan said, Simon, at five past 11 tomorrow morning, there's going to be a breath. But can you breathe it now for me in advance of 11.05? Like, you know, I might have a go. But that's the number one thing that ties us to the present moment. It's impossible to breathe in the past or the future. So if you want to be present, just breathe. And then, hey, presto, human nature, the spirit, the universe does the rest you're in the moment, then you can take the action and do it. Exactly that. So what a podcast episode this has been. Our hope was to give you a set of questions, tools, thoughts, and ideas that will help you unlock where you are. If you ever get lost, I want you to save this episode as the one to use to bring you back to home. Simon's set of initial questions which were? Oh, you're looking at me to repeat them. Okay, well, we'll do that. (laughs) Number one, question number one, have you picked something that lights you up? Question number two. And it's okay if that changes. Oh, it is. And it probably will change as well. Well, it will. Yeah. Uh, Question number two, what's the one product or service that makes sense for you to focus on selling first? If there's six on your list, slap yourself and then choose one. (laughs) And question number three, Who is the customer most likely to want to buy the product or service that you've chosen? And if you're resisting this, slap yourself and then choose one.
There's <laughs> a lot of slapping yourself going on here. And then question number four is, what's the size of the direct action that you've taken to put your product or service in front of your best guest target audience? And if you're resisting this, take a breath, be kind, and then take action. I love that, Alan. I was expecting some slapping. Can you, uh, <laughs> I'm pleased that we're being kind to ourselves now. Sometimes it's important to be kind to yourself. Sometimes it's imp- it, that's part of knowing the difference is sometimes you just have to slap yourself and say, stop being silly, do this one thing. And sometimes you need to be kind to yourself because there's resistance for a reason. So let's breathe it, work it out. What's the resistance and then take action. So those would be the diagnostic questions for the how-to. But if you're interested in in exploring deeper and really connecting with your why, then there was the miracle question. If we waved a magic wand for you and you woke up tomorrow morning and a miracle had happened, how would you know? What would you see here? What would you feel? Which then leads you on to what's the why? Like, why are we doing this miracle? Why are we even aiming for it? Which will connect you with your motivation. Then we have a little bit of what's stopping you from taking action so that you can uncover some of the barriers, work on your confidence, build up some energy, and then we've just got to do it. Like, let's experiment. And that's the bit. And I think the final piece of this jigsaw, and this is something that you're really good at, Alan, is taking action. What needs to happen next? What's mm-hmm. the action that you need to take right now that will get you closer and faster to the dream that you want to deliver? The mistake most people make is thinking through every action they have to take and then being becoming paralyzed by the size of the project. Don't do that. It's a waste of your energy, your time, your life force. Just think, what's the next step? Publish homepage. Add this. Do this. Share on Facebook. Make one call. Just take one step at a time and keep repeating that until you get there. You just reminded me of one of my favorite quotes that I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'll probably even attribute it to the wrong person. But I think it's Einstein who says, you don't need to see the whole staircase to take the next step. I love that quote. I have no idea who it is. So we'll just go with that. <laughs> Let's uh, go with that. If you're listening to this and we've got it wrong, please tell us. Uh, we're always open to feedback. So this episode is designed to be home. If you're ever feeling lost, come back to this episode, listen to it again, close your eyes, think through the answers, make notes, experience it. This is the home. If you've got a friend who's feeling lost, you can apply these same questions to a job, to someone else's business, to your business. This is the episode. If someone's feeling lost, these are the questions that will help unlock them. So this episode is designed to be home. Simon? Before we wrap up and leave, any final thoughts for the wonderful listeners to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast? I'd really love to know what uh, happens as a result of listening to this and if it triggers any new ideas, thoughts and action that people take as a result. So please share uh, any anything that happens as a result of listening. I'd love to find out. How, how do people find you, Simon? Well, I think the best place to get in, in touch with me is uh, is through social media. I'm Simon J. Payne on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Drop me an email, simon at therebelschool.com, but please follow up if I don't reply. <laughs> <laughs> he is not good at replying to emails, and I know neither am I. People in glass houses should not throw rocks. <laughs> so look, this is the home episode. If you're feeling stuck, if you feel like you need motivation, come back to this, explore the questions and go through it. The whole purpose of this podcast from Simon and I is to help you make progress. 
whatever that means to you. We don't care if you start a business. We care that you start a community project, you work with your kids, you get a job, you're making progress and you are happier for you. Don't care what that looks like. Just make progress on your happiness. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.